everybody. It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Filmwax Radio. Uh, it's Thursday, March 26th, 2020. This is episode number 605 of the podcast. Again, I want to uh, reach out to everybody and express my concern and my hopes that you and your families and your friends, that you're okay. And uh, I know that you might not be. And I hope just uh, we will get through this uh, never has the world, in a se- one sense, felt as small as it does right now. Can you hear that? All I hear throughout the day uh, is sirens in the distance. I, I can't help but think it's related to, you know, the virus picking people up or, or what have you. Uh, anyway, so what I've decided to do in my own way since I'm I've essentially quarantined myself here at home, I'm trying to just keep occupied. So I have some work and I have other projects and tasks, but I figured, you know, let me reach out to other folks in the industry, other people that are in the arts even, and just uh, musicians, uh, you name it, authors, and and get them on the podcast. So what I'm going to be doing is more podcasting than I, I have been. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not planning it. But as they come in, I'm going to post them. If I can get them on the next episode of the podcast I do, if it's time sensitive or it feels like an immediacy to it, I'm going to post it and promote it from the Filmax Radio YouTube channel. So if you are a fan of this show and you don't already subscribe to that, get on the YouTube channel. There is a lot of great content there. Most of it is from the podcast, but there might be some stuff there that is not. And I may be putting stuff up ahead of time that maybe hasn't made it to the podcast yet. For instance, these two, the main segments in this episode were both posted on the YouTube channel first because of the timeliness. Uh, I wanted to alert people to both of these films, which were already available when I spoke with the filmmakers. So the first segment is with uh, the team behind this fishing town noir or New England noir called Blow the Man Down. And then the team behind a new documentary called Dosed, both available on various platforms. Well, the uh, we'll get to details of both in a moment. Uh, but I am adding an extra short conversation in the top of the show. I'm going to try as hard as I can to get on folks who are suffering in one way or another from the uh, coronavirus, you know, in terms of being in the industry or in the arts. And uh, first up here... We're going to have a brief conversation with Michael Dorf, who I don't know if you know his name. You should. Many people around the country are aware of city wineries. They're a series of restaurant and concert performance spaces. They've been here in New York for, for quite a number of years. They are in a, a number of other cities around the country, including, I don't know, Chicago, Nashville, for instance. Where else are they? They're in uh, Washington, D.C., and Philly, Atlanta, and Boston. 
there's um, a new one opening. They just moved to a new space. Sadly, they're not able to get it going because of the virus here in New York alone. We're going to talk about that with Michael. It has been a growing company. They are also a restaurant and a music performance space, and so many of the great acts perform there. It's, it's just the right size. It's intimate. When you go to a city winery, you really get the intimacy of a performance. When you go to an arena or a stadium show or even a big theater sometimes, you don't unless you're in the first few rows. In the city winery, you always feel like you're in the first few rows. It's just that type of space where the energy kind of spreads throughout the entire uh, room. And so it's a threat. These venues are in real trouble right now. The staff are in real trouble. They are not earning money. The venues are closed. There's no takeout. You know, there's no there's no alternate version to keep the places going other than holding on and hoping that they can survive through this next period. So I'm just bringing on Michael. Way back in the day, he, he founded The Knitting Factory. He's produced albums, and he's produced concerts. He sold off Knitting Factory some years ago and started the City Winery because of his love of music and his love of wine. And uh, what better idea? It took off. It's uh, amazing. He's a philanthropist. He is very committed and involved in his Jewish life. He's a great guy. And so we got on the phone today, and this is the conversation we had. I'll be back afterwards to introduce the first segment. But here he is, Michael Dorf, here on Filmwax Radio. still afraid if you weren't real I would make you up now I wish that I could follow through I know that your love is true and deep as the sea but right now everything you want is wrong and right now all your dreams are waking up and right For for uh, for squeezing this in, I, I can't imagine just uh, how crazed things are for you right now. Well, they're they're crazed for the entire world, no question about That's a good it. Point. Um, the uh, the 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 city winery business, which fundamentally relies on on non social distancing, um, is is obviously like any other restaurant or entertainment facility really impacted. You know, we, we can't really provide work from home um, in our business. And, and being that we're a place to go see music or have live events, parties, um, 
the idea of, of it to go or or takeout doesn't doesn't really work for us to be able to pivot in that direction either. So, you know, while I applaud a lot of restaurants that are doing everything they can to to to, to provide a essential service of of getting food to people, um, you know that that isn't the same for culture and and live entertainment. So, you know, we're we're pretty pretty challenged right now. And then if you add to that kind of perfect storm with us, the fact that we were just about to open um, this week our new city winery in New York City uh, at Pier 57 in Hudson River Park, uh, which was really a, is a spectacular uh, facility we've built. It, it is really the ultimate city winery Space. We put in a lot of a lot of money and sweat and tears into into it. And our opening uh, month of April and the lineup, we pretty much had sold out every show that we announced. Um, obviously, all of that is uh, is dead in the water. Um, and then simultaneously, we invested heavily into a new Hudson Valley uh, facility. It, it, a 60,000 square foot building, uh, a historical building on a 22 acre uh, property. And, um, and that was going to become a winemaking center and, and real, almost the definitive Hudson Valley wedding site. Um, but, but, uh, and that was supposed to open this week as well. So both, both New York projects, Hudson Valley and then the city the biggest things we've ever really put our money into and, and our time and, and energy and, and both are, um, unfortunately, uh, uh, in a pretty precarious state right now without, you know, any, any understanding of, of when we will be able to open, if we ever will be able to open, um, we're in, we're in heavy survival mode. Mm, uh, mm. you know, had, you know, we we had to temporarily suspend, you know, over fourteen hundred jobs, um, uh, you know, a week and a half ago now, and um, you know we're down to about seventy core people in the in the ten different locations, and doing everything we can to preserve, you know, that work. We're all on you know substantial uh, reduced you know salaries and. You know, we're trying to sell some wine at home, and we're selling some gift cards, and we're trying to, to you know, look at the fourth quarter, October, November, December of this year, and go, well, can we sell concerts then, and and private parties, and and nobody knows for sure, right. but there's some positive psychology that that far at the end of the year feels safe, and so every Every wedding, you know, is moving to that, those three months and every concert and every artist wants to perform in those last three months. And so we're trying to move the entire year basically into the last three months of the year, right. just because that, that feels safe. But, right. you know, who, who really knows, who really knows what the new normal is going to be? Correct. You know, yep. are we going to have temperature thermometer readers at the front door when we emerge from this and not allow anyone right. with a 99-degree forehead to come into the 
into our into our room, and that will replace security uh, at the front door. Are we going to go to a Singapore type of model where you know if you've tested negative or have already worked through the virus in your system, your barcode on your wrists, you know, will allow you in. I mean. What is this new normal for for the for the event world, entertainment world? It's unclear. Um, the only the only weird silver lining, and there's no silver lining. Let's be clear, there's no silver lining anywhere here. But um, is that in the in the concert world, it's highly unlikely. I know I, as a parent, will not be allowing my daughter to to jump into a 100,000-person mosh pit anytime in the near future. <laughs> That's not happening, right? So it's much more probable that, you know, the smaller intimate concert space, like a city winery, you know, 300-seated yes. capacity, yes. a little more space, you know, a little more um, a comfort that you, that, that, that you, you know, aren't in direct contact with anybody that that we can provide the if you will the contact less concert experience so you know and 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 a degree of safety if 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 that's where our heads are going to be in five or six months but nobody really knows um yeah and and this is this is such uncharted uh territory and uh you know and it's obviously having a just an incredible impact on society in general and, and, and economics. And I, you know, more than anything, I just feel, I feel so bad for, you know, the, the, the service, um, you know, employee, the, the workers in the restaurants, um, the kitchen, back of house, front of house, um, you know, that we're living month to month, week to week and, and not getting a paycheck you know, is, is, is devastating. And this $2 trillion, you know, finally the Democrats working with the Republicans and getting something, but even that, like, is, is that, it does not seem like that's going to be sufficient for a lot of those people. It might be sufficient for, for Boeing and for the airline industry. They're getting their billions, but I, I'm not sure if the, uh, you know the restaurant industry and the entertainment industry; those those staff people and the and the and the uh, if you will the um, the the micro economy around it. You know the artists and the vendors. Yeah. Um, if they're going to be able to, uh, you know, really see anything, you know, out of this governmental support that's going to be meaningful in any any way. I thought you were going to say earlier before when you were started to talk about the silver lining, which I know is a you know, maybe an exaggeration, but, you know, I thought because the the nature of the musical community and the concert and performance and maybe the arts in general is uh, one of, of, you know, rallying and also uh, very good at creating exciting events to fundraise and stuff. So perhaps at some point they'll have opportunities to be able to do that, whether it's for the city wineries, whether it's for the uh, the staff. Yeah, I think what you're saying, it's a very interesting point in that, you know, City Winery and a lot of music venues, and in particular, the musicians that perform, um, 
do a lot of philanthropic work. That's right. You know, in, in, the, in the 11 years, you know, we have put on, you know, hundreds of fundraisers for tornado victims. We did that immediately in Nashville right after a tornado before this happened, you know, a month ago, the tornado in Nashville. For every biblical type of natural disaster, whether it's been yeah. the earthquakes or the floods, we cancer research, music education, there are so many problems in our world. We, we and then more importantly, the artists who work for free doing that have been on the front lines That's right. helping and supporting. The challenge is, is when they do a, when an artist does a normal gig, that's when they earn a living. The idea of doing a fundraiser for themselves, for you know, sure. um, or us doing a fundraiser for us, is is just it, it, it's a little counterintuitive and and not something that you know is is, is easy to execute or easy to communicate or to do. Really, all that is. is is doing less fundraisers for other things and just doing work as normal. Um, so it's a, it's kind of an odd thing. So you know, it, to rely on the musicians to do fundraisers for themselves is, is not the answer. You know, getting the banks and the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. you know, and the technology companies to then maybe come on stage and do some karaoke with one million dollar checks for the artist. Now, that's a different story. But, I, you know, to, to, to ask the artist community that's constantly giving back to every other ill, right. and now they're yeah. on the need of the receiving end, you can't go to them to do that. That's a good point. You see, it's that knee-jerk artist self sort of, uh, not deprecating, but sort of this sort of expectation of less, you know, where I, I'm primarily in the film industry, but, you know, we're always begging, you know, the whole idea of Kickstarter. You know, we've kind of gotten used to it because it's just so ubiquitous. But if you if you think about it, you know, you're asking the peop- very people that really are probably the last ones who can really afford it. So I, I can relate to what you're saying, but we get into such a mindset of, I, mean, I guess the side of it that is positive is just sort of helping each other out of this, you know, um, uh, people that are passionate about music, about the performing arts, about the concert experience. I mean, one thing, City Winery, it's, uh, the, the idea of fundraising, as you've already illustrated, it's, point, it's part of your, the model of what you do, and you guys have really perfected this type of sh- performance, you know? experience um and but i I guess i've reached out to you because i i wanted to to get one company that's dedicated to uh, and committed to philanthropy as well as to the arts uh and is a real real has a real struggle ahead to uh, reach as many ears as possible so if i can take your message to any number of people I'll, i'll i feel like it's a it's a good use of time well that's appreciated i mean the yeah, I, I, you know, I uh, really do appreciate your support. But what what ultimately can be done is really is really a, a challenge. Um, and uh, you know, this is a it's a scary time for mm. for everybody. And and uh, you know, we're we're definitely going into you know a new a new world that none of us um, expected uh, more than you know three weeks ago to be having a deal with. That's correct. That's right. Um, 
I think it puts uh, uh, taking your belt or sandals off at the airport is going to seem a little less annoying after what we're probably going to be facing. <laughs> you know? um, this is true. Right now, people can go to your website, though, uh, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah citywinery.com is definitely the, the main hub for everything we're doing and information, and we're, we're trying to stay, you know, overly communicative on, on, on the different things that we're doing um, as everything seems to be changing on a, you know, daily, hourly basis almost. So, listen, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Um, I, pre- I pre- appreciate, uh, you know, helping get the word out. Yeah, my pleasure, um, or my honor. I don't know how to phrase it anymore. I'm just yeah. happy to do it. I, um, I, and I, I'll be rooting for for you and your team, okay? Thank you. Appreciate All right. it. All right. All right. Talk to you. Thank okay. you. Okay, bye-bye. Again, visit the City Winery website. See what is going on with City Winery. Uh, again, you can go to the City Winery website to keep apprised of uh, what we can all do to help organizations like theirs. Up here now, this was a case where uh, I have three different actors in three different locations conferencing into a phone call. It is not optimal in that regard however these women are fantastic this is a female i should say i guess dominated film blow the man down is currently available on amazon prime video uh as of uh, a few days ago march 20th it became available you can see it we have on this uh, segment three of the actors we have uh, morgan sailor sophie lowe and the amazing Margot martindale the film's been written, directed by Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy. So a very female-centric film here. Easter Cove is a salty fishing village on the far reaches of Maine's rocky coast. Grieving the loss of their mother and facing an uncertain future, Mary Beth and Priscilla Connolly, played by Morgan and Sophie, cover up a gruesome run-in with a dangerous man. To conceal their crime, the sister must go deeper into Easter Cove's underbelly and uncover the town matriarch's darkest secrets. This movie's a lot of fun. It's great escapist entertainment. This uh, is a fun conversation. There's some parts where it isn't optimal. It does cut out a little bit here and there. I will not lie to you. However, it is a conversation worth uh, listening to and in uh, a fun movie to watch. Okay, so again, it's called Blow the Man Down. Here we are with Sophie, Morgan, and Margot here on FilmWax Radio. On a New England Isle, in a good seaport town, to me below the man down. Can you start over? I'm confused. It was confusing. We had to do it right. 
Oh no. I lost control. With a brick. You said it was a harpoon. So what are we gonna do now? Should have just called the police. Okay, so can everybody just introduce themselves? I guess, uh, well, maybe I should do it because you'll talk over each other, I guess. We have three three of you are on the line? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Morgan? Yeah, hi. Hi, Here Morgan. Morgan Saylor, who's in the film, and Sophie, Sophie Lowe. Hello. Hi, Sophie. How are how you? How are you? Good. Where are you? I'm in London. Okay, so you're you're the one that's uh, uh, getting. I'm in Kensington, London. Very nice. Very good. Thank you. I'm really far away. <laughs> okay, no problem. And and last but not least, Margo, you're there. Yes, I am. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Better now. Better now that I've uh, sort of caught up a little bit. I really enjoy the film. I have never heard. Uh, first of all, a I guess a New England noir. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I think this is considered... Uh, yeah, I, I, well, that's a new term, I guess. Yes, it is. And, Margo, I was trying to remember, I, I believe I met you once many years ago, and I was trying to remember the name of the film. It was at a little Brooklyn... You're going to remember this. It was at a little Brooklyn... Uh, I know what it was. I know that it was. It was a very strange, little, wonderful film. I got a rave review in the New York Times, Scalene. Scalene, that's correct. And you really, you carry that film. It's Zach, Zach Parker, yeah. That's, oh, Zach, of course. Yeah, that's when the yeah. New York Times would review a small film like that. I don't know if those days Yeah, were... it was, a, yeah. So I was excited at the opportunity to bring you on, especially for this, where you play such a delightful sweetheart in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Adam. That's so sweet of you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Again, the, the name of this film is called Blow the Man Down. I'm just going to do a little tiny bit of housekeeping here just to get this done with. And it is it is currently available on, on Amazon Prime Video, correct? Yeah. Yes. Very good. Okay. I'll set it up in my intro so I don't have to spend too much time on, on, on the synopsis. But Morgan, you play Mary Beth. Yeah, that's correct. Mary Beth Gormley. Right, Mary Beth Connolly, and Sophie uh, plays Priscilla Connolly, and your sisters. <laughs> and <laughs> your mom recently passed away. This is, uh, you know, I, I'm just sort of trying to do my best here. Uh, the, this, your your mo- your mom passed away recently, and she was part of a clique of women in the town, in this main town in Maine, this fishing town in Maine, who were essentially like the local mob. Well, yeah. Not really. We were both carrying. Yes. We were carrying females of this town. Okay, uh, but you know, I guess where my my comparison comes in is that you know, if you really you guys were running the joint, and if people learned pretty quickly not to cross you guys, is that fair to say? Right. And and with the passing of yeah. of the Connolly mother. Of her, of her passing has sort of upset the balance, I think, in this in this town in terms of of the the group of women who are still essentially the town bosses. That's right. They just rule the roost absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that the passing of Mary Margaret of the uh, it was the the last straw that broke it. I, yeah. it, it my I they had already started. Like yeah. Turn for me. Yeah. 
what was it like uh, working on the set? This was shot up in. Was it shot up in Maine in the in the in this in this uh, on the seaside town? Oh, yeah, it was. Okay. At what time of year did you guys do that? Yeah, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it by around this time two years ago. So it was. I think we arrived at the end of February. And we were there through March. Um, and it was really, really, really cold. Did that yeah. help? I guess that helped kind of. Yeah. Yep. Yes, it did help. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. It was, I, I had the best time. What was the, is, so, so gorgeous there. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But maybe, maybe Sophie, maybe you are a little bit more used to. Um, I don't know how much you shoot up in like uh, Northern England, or if you've had that opportunity. But maybe it was kind of that very uh, damp, chilly weather. So. Um. Yeah. I mainly grew up in Australia, so it's a bit different. <laughs> but um, I live in London now. And, um, are, are you living in London definitely. now? I actually have not been... Uh, yeah, I live in London now. Okay, very good. But I live in Australia um, most of my childhood. I see. Um, and uh, uh, it's cold here now, but like, it's nowhere near as cold as it was <laughs> when we were filming. <laughs> Maine is is particularly freezing cold during the winter. Was there a reason why they had to shoot? Couldn't they have shot a little bit later in the season, perhaps? I think why. Yeah, that's that's what made it so fantastic. Yeah, that created the very. uh, If they had gotten a little more towards spring, they would have had to worry about keeping it consistent through the whole movie. We were still in winter, a little safely. Wait, repeat that again. We have a siren. One of you guys has a siren going on behind you. If you could please uh, step away from the hospital or wherever. Uh, repeat what you just, Can you repeat that last comment? Who was talking? Uh, uh, that was me, Morgan. Um, okay, Morgan. I was just saying that I think if, if they had pushed and waited a little more towards spring or summer, you know, they would have missed the snow, and that is such an important part of the story they wanted to tell. No, I, I know, um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and shooting during the winter kind of gave the consistency of having the cold through the whole shoot, which was important. Sure. And have any of you worked with in in a, in a on a project like this where it is where almost entire there are some exceptions. I was just going to ask you this is so uh, almost an entire female cast and I didn't know if you guys had ever worked in in that kind of environment before and what what how that was for you guys um anybody can answer I guess working in an almost entirely Girl, you, you, you answer. Do you want, maybe uh, I'm like, you go ahead Sophie you one go mhm Sophie, what was uh, okay. it like for you working with well, I've, such yeah, a... I've never worked with um, mm-hmm. that many females at one time. And um, it was just an amazing experience for me. I felt so comfortable. I felt extremely understood mm-hmm. and safe. And um, I mean, the whole vibe on set, male or female, was just that we all knew that we were making something pretty special. It, it, it resonates all the more right it, about now. I mean, this the subject of this film in particular has a special resonance. I, I, I think you know the timing of the film couldn't be better in some ways. You know, with what we're seeing. I, I mean, you know, absolutely. I think it's. A, I think it couldn't be. I couldn't be more 
empowering women and uh, I loved being with all those young women. It was so much fun and I loved being with all the old women. It was uh, just a joy. I've worked, I've worked on a lot of things. With, I've done theater stuff with all women and I've done I've just done another show just recently with all women, and it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Well, so perhaps men are becoming superfluous in, the, in films. I don't know. I know. Other people say that, but I still look around and I see a majority of white male-led things. Uh, uh, so I think well, yes. keep the movement going. Yeah. No, to- absolutely. In fact, I think it's about balance. Yes. It may be getting. It may be actually pretty bad right now. To be honest with you, I don't know that um, as much talk as there's been about, and as many times as people have tried to represent uh, an award season as the year of the woman. It really, actually, the the, the statistics are pretty still abysmal, from what I can tell. Yes, exactly. You know, well, and, you know. Yeah. Keep telling stories with only women. Like, more, more, more. Keep playing field a little more. Yeah. But your guy, you guys, well, it's not more. just give us the women mob. Yeah. But there's been a number, a couple of other films recently uh, with, you know, like a little, they re, they obviously had a new, re, Greta Gerwig's uh, Little Women. There's a number of other films with primarily female cast. But in this one, it's really, the women here are especially of a tough fiber. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it stands out in that way. It's, <laughs> the women are really tough here. Really tough, all of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well... Women are tough. That, that's a good point. I think they're very relatable. Women are tough. Character in their own way. Yeah. So, other than the cold, what were some of the challenges? Did you did you get guys even get an opportunity to workshop or or uh, rehearse at all? Well, fortunately, I did. Well, yeah. We're very um, lucky in that case. We had almost a year before we started shooting the film that we what? spent. Is that true? On um, LA. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. With both. Um, Bridget, our director, and Danielle Prudy as well. And the four of us spent a lot of time together kind of working on that sister bond and, and figuring out the story they wanted to tell. Um, and that, I think, is definitely seen on screen, um, all that work that we were able to do. I think it is, too, yes. How unusual is having that kind the of time? accent as well was tough. yes. It's, why don't you talk about that a little bit then? Because the New England accent there is, you know, the very uh, cliche uh, uh, Pepperidge Farm remembers. But you know, I have to imagine that there's actually <laughs> <laughs> it's that's my New England accent. But there has to be a uh... <laughs> what's that? Oh, sorry, good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I spent too much time practicing things like that. It's, it's <laughs> you know. <laughs> But uh, what 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 did you so what, what, did you work with a, a dialogue coach or a, a professional teacher in that regard? Yeah, like, we had a dialogue coach, um, and asked asked the um, people that lived in the, the neighborhood where we were filming um, for some tips, and um, it was especially hard for me because of my Australian accent. I was going to ask. Yeah, I, I, it just kept coming out because I didn't. I thought I had more of an advantage because I don't roll my eyes like Americans. Yeah, and they don't really do that with the, the no. main accent. But it just it just sounded too Australian, so I had to be careful not to cross that Australian line. Sure. Sometimes 
Sophie, could you already do a, I don't know, like a, just a conventional American accent before this? Yes. Had yes. you played an American before? I think you have, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, but still, it was still especially challenging doing the main accent. It's very different than the, I don't know what you call it, mid-Atlantic typical American accent. I don't know. Like, like what I have, I guess. It's also a little. Yeah, I think that was too difficult. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a little, uh, and I think it's also a little wider than a Boston accent. It doesn't sound. Yeah, yeah it's very different than a Boston accent. What, did uh, Margot? You yeah. must have played. Have you played somebody from? Have you ever had to put in one of those Northern New England accents before? Uh, n- n- no. Okay. Never. But you have to. But you, she was I, so scared about it, and of course, oh. she kills it. Mm-hmm. She was terrified of this accent yes, the whole time we were shooting. I was terrified of the accent, yes. And I worked really hard with somebody that I think that was very exaggerated. Uh, but because I'm... Anyway, it it worked for me. Mm-hmm. So You nailed uh, it. You're I, amazing. You did. I must say, I'm, I'm, rather, I'm rather pleased. <laughs> But the the bar is the, the bar is kind of high for Margot. The bar is kind of high for Margot though, because I think the expectation is that Margot, you're as a character actor who plays a very variety, you know versatile range of characters over the years, that that that's what they expect from a Margot Martindale. That you're gonna be a do a convincing uh, accent oh, or, or dialect well, anyway, you know. So I think the pressure was probably. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's all, all about putting in time. I mean, really. I mean, I, I've just finished playing Bella Abzug, and I must tell you, two months of working I did before I started. You you just, you just mm-hmm. Bella Abzug? Yeah. Oh, no way. So even just the hats alone, probably, you just still wear the hats and look convincing in the hats <laughs> had to be a pretty, pretty uh, it <laughs> stressful. It, it all helps. I'm sure it does, actually, and all kidding aside. And now you, Margo, while I have you on, I, and I don't mean to uh, in any way ignore you ladies, but uh, Margo, you just worked with a good friend of mine on a new film, also Brian Wiseman. It's in the press notes, so I'm allowed to bring it up. You're working on his... Uh, what was it? You mean everything to me. That was me, actually. Oh, oh it was. That's going to say. Sorry I, about that. I've never heard of it. <laughs> that, well, you... You may be in the sequel. Um, excuse me. Morgan. It does say Morgan here. I apologize. Morgan, you were in it. How was working with Brian? He's one of my favorite uh, guys. He's a sweetheart. Oh, yeah? How do you know him? He Well, he, first of all, he lives nearby. I've known him for years. Yeah. He did a film You're called... You're in Brooklyn as well? Well, typically, yes. I'm. I'm I'll just say yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to give you all the details, but yeah, typically I live in Brooklyn. Of where you stay away too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right. Uh, we're, we're on here by him as well um, in Brooklyn. Uh, it was great. It was a you know we made that movie in like three weeks in Brooklyn, um, also in the winter mm-hmm. uh, for no money, and it's, it's uh, a kind of crazy little story, but um, yeah, um, it was a wonderful time actually making it. Well, he's a good. Um, he's, we'll see what what happens. Yeah, 
Well, he made a, a really hmm. lo- lovely film some years ago called um, About Sonny. I think it was called About Sonny. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. I, I wonder if he regaled you with stories about being on that set. But, um, yes, I've heard a lot about that. I'm sure we should trade some stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, I gotta, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But it, it's, it's a, yeah. uh, did you guys, you guys premiered at Tribeca Film Festival last year, right? That's correct. Yes. How did that go? Yes. And thank, goodness, thank goodness it was last year. The timing was I know. very fortunate. Yeah, well, we had a premiere last week that was canceled too, but um, of course, Rebecca was lovely though. We were all three there. Mhm. I, I imagine so. Fun. Uh huh. We, we had a we had a really really good time, and it did very well. It won best narrative, yeah. I think, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was. Uh, um, and it was deservedly it was nice to celebrate with the ladies. The directors are such a great pair, and um, you know they worked on this film for a long, long time. Was really their passion project, um, and it's so wonderful to get to see them celebrated. Uh, okay, well, let's 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 get your reactions to a film premiering during this particular time where that we're all experiencing together while the virus, this virus is uh, pandemic, is happening, and it feels like an elephant in the room not to bring it up. And I'm glad that people can, you know, at least have some good escapist fun watching blow the man down because it's a lot of fun to watch this film but do you have any particular thoughts about it premiering at this particular time maybe i think it is perfect escapism i think that's it yeah yeah you can get out of your house and take a trip and begin without um without leaving your couch you know that's right and that's so rude you can enjoy the new england chill Uh, go ahead i'm sorry was somebody talking? No, yeah. Okay. I, again, let me just apologize for, uh, I was, again, uh, a little stressed at the beginning, and I, I know I hit it very well, but I appreciate your, your patience. And <laughs> No, it's okay. It's a crazy time. Oh, Adam, you were, you were great. Don't, don't no you worry. <laughs> it's yeah, you're lovely. I love the film. I, I just got to repeat that. It star- it's called Blow the Man Down. It's currently available for streaming, I know, on Amazon Prime. It stars Morgan Saylor, Sophie Lowe, Mar- Morgan Martindale, Bill Bertain, rather, who actually did this podcast. Margo. It's Margo, Mar- Margo Martindale. Oh, that's why I said. Morgan Martindale. No, I said. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Yeah. Did I. Oh. Maybe I mispronounced it. I don't know. Or maybe I it's. I, the, heard, I think I heard Margo Morgan. Yeah. Well. I've been drinking heavily, uh-huh. ladies. You should compliment me for doing as well as I've done. I've, I, I, the, the quantity of alcohol I've been imbibing in the last week. Uh, Annette O'Toole. Uh, last thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Last thing, Margot. <laughs> can you, do you mind just, yeah. can you do a little ID for me since I have you on the phone? Like uh, this is the name of this podcast. Like a little ID, ID. Like uh, this is Margot Martindale, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio, which is the name of my show. Do you mind? Is it Film Wax? Film Wax. Yeah, F I L M W A X, and it would just be such a a okay. Okay, sure. Thank you You for humoring me. Hi, this is Margot Martindale, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Thank you. Thank you for that. Blow the Man Down is uh, directed by Danielle Crudy. Is that how you pronounce it? Crudy? Yeah. 
and uh, co-written and co-directed by Bridget Savage Cole, and is again for the one more time is is currently streaming on uh, Amazon Prime. I really urge people to see it, and uh, it is uh, a jo- it's it's a ton of fun to watch, and very convincing uh, New England accents by all. Go check it out. Good yep. advice. Great advice. And and I hope. Thanks, Adam. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Very thank much. you. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Bye. Bye bye now. Take care. Bye, girls. Priscilla Conley, you have a small skiff, right? Could get a little grody. A body wash up on the rocks. Enid's business is bringing shame to the town. I try to protect these girls, but I can't do everything. What did she mean by that? It used to be real bad around here. Get away from me! If it's not Enid's girls, then it's our own daughters. We wanted something better for you. By starting up. Go on, drink up. Drink up. A lot of people underestimate women. That's why they can get away with a lot. And then what do you know about the Connolly sisters? Real nice girls. Sure about that? Okay, last up here is a documentary called Dosed. After many years of prescription medications failed her, a suicidal woman turns to underground healers to try and overcome her depression, anxiety, and opioid addiction with illegal psychedelic medicines such as magic mushrooms and iboga. Adrienne's first dose of psilocybin mushrooms catapulted her into an unexpected world of healing where plant medicines are redefining our understanding of mental health and addiction. We have here on the show the director of Dost, Tyler Chandler, as well as his co-producer and editor, Nick Myers, as well as Adrienne herself, also on a phone call. But I can tell you that, fortunately, this time, uh, the, the, <laughs> the audio did come out very, very strongly. There will be uh, no issues. Thank you for your patience. And here we go. See Dosed. It's currently available. If you go to dosemovie.com, you can screen the film right off that website. Okay? It's an important film, an important subject matter, one that I've covered before on the show with my friend Michelle Nekerponti in terms of an earlier film he made, which I mentioned in this uh, conversation. So if you enjoyed Dosed, look up Michelle's film, I'm Dangerous with Love. It's a nice follow-up to this film. Okay, here it is. This is Tyler, Nick, and Adrienne here uh, with their film Dosed. Only on Film Wax Radio. Do you think those people downtown grew up thinking that that's where they wanted to be? Do you think they want to be face down with their pants on the ground and like fucking needles sticking out of their arm? That's no way to live. Like my only friend is heroin. Addicts tend to feel alone and depressed. I'm surrounded a lot by the dark the dark thoughts. Magic mushrooms allow you to change your mind. Psychedelics will be able to help with many mental health problems. There's one that fucking nails it right at home. 
Opiate addiction is completely unbearable. So sick of this. God is not coming. She has to go in and find out why she's an addict. Memories will come up that they've never ever conscious of before. I have a memory of going to this house. She's reliving some moment over and over and over. Something happened in that house, right? Adrienne, are you still with us? What's the best way to love yourself? That's good. You know, you can look for that too tonight. My boga goes deep to the root cause. Check her posing. <laughs> we ended up going to the hospital just to make sure that she was okay. Hello. Hey, Adam. Yeah. Hey, it's Tyler. How are you? Tyler. With Dost. Tyler Chandler. Yes, that is me. The director of Dost. That is me. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> okay. How are you doing? <laughs> doing good. Just got off another uh, call here. They set us up with a bunch uh, of interviews today. So good. Here we are. Good. Yeah. Good. That's hope, good. Hope you're keeping well, considering everything. Where are you right now? In Montreal, or are you in? We're uh, we're in Vancouver. Yeah, I was wondering because I was I was I started thinking what time zones were were doing. <laughs> I wasn't sure. So it's 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 just noon there then I guess. No, uh, that's correct. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's crazy. We're on lockdown here too. Restaurants are closed, and you know, obviously, yeah. like theaters are closed, and sporting events are sure. canceled, and uh, you know, have to ride the elevator <laughs> to get in and out, and not really going anywhere. It's like a totally bizarre situation so hopefully uh it passes soon and um everybody can return to normal right yeah well uh, that's the idea but on a bizarre level this is unifying the world i mean it's um as strange as it is to say that it's almost unnecessary for you to tell me that you're they're closing theaters i mean we're all experiencing the exact same thing yeah 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 i know Although, it's um it's a uh, like it seems like everybody's almost on the same page now um uh, as some some countries are ahead of others and whatnot and but yeah it's it's very interesting to see it unfold and quickly welcome then tyler chandler uh who is the director of dosed we have uh nicholas myers who is co-producer uh, and co-editor on the film and happy to also uh, include the sub main subject of the film which is uh person wise anyway is uh adrienne Nice to meet you all. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody is is okay and healthy and their families are okay. Yeah, um, so far so good. And we're hoping everybody's staying safe, doing what they can do to, uh, you know, like contain and uh, hopefully eradicate the coronavirus, flatten the curve, all those things. Is- isolation, unfortunately, it's very boring. Yeah, this is just not the time to yeah. be outside or in groups. And so... You know, our whole theatrical tour of Dost is is just been totally postponed here because of uh, of this coronavirus. And so, yeah, that this is the time to to be inside watching movies on Netflix and uh, DostMovie.com. Can I just ask them real quick? And maybe you were about to bring it up. And uh, once in a while, to identify yourself too, so because I might not even know if it's Tyler or Nicholas. But just to get a little bit of house cleaning out of the way then, so it's going on Vimeo. Can I assume that means Vimeo on demand? Yeah, it'll be available tomorrow. It's in pre-purchase or pre-order right now um, through dosedmovie.com, and then that's through uh, Vimeo on demand. Um, what we're also doing is we're, we're donating a percentage of every purchase um, towards the Corona um, Corona Disaster Relief Fund through CDC, WHO, and UNF. 
and then uh, that'll be matched by Facebook dollar for dollar. So, um, you know, it's our way to support this current crisis that we're in, and hopefully that will be behind us soon. And then, um, you know, we're, we're going to look at doing similar things to help support the uh, other health crisis that we've been all dealing with for a long time, whether it's anxiety, depression, or addiction, um, you know, through uh, psychedelic research companies. Good segue into the film. I've been a big uh, supporter or believer in psychedelics myself as a um, potential cure for for addiction. And uh, I've seen, you know, uh, cases where this has helped so many people. And before even dosed, back in 2009, my friend Michelle Negroponte made a film called I'm Dangerous with Love, which which dealt with ibogaine weight, you know, so it's great that uh, your film is bringing the subject into the forefront of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's exactly what we hoped that this would do uh, along the way. We didn't know what was going to happen in the beginning. And, um, you know, uh, and here we are mm -hmm. with a documentary now that is inspiring a lot of people and giving them hope for their own situation or loved ones, family members, friends, that type of thing. Since we, we are also coming from different countries, even though we're obviously neighbors, to, uh, the United States is ass backwards about all this stuff, all of this stuff. You know, we give people lifetime prison sentences for carrying marijuana in this country. You know, it's things are slowly changing. True, but Canada seems to be. Well, let me just ask you: What is the culture like in Canada regarding psychedelics, regarding drugs in general? And you tell people so because the film does explore that as well as Adrian's story. Um. Yeah. Well, from my perspective, obviously, um, we have. Um federally uh, legalized uh, marijuana, so we're um, a step ahead there. However, some cities in the United States have already um, moved to decriminalize psychedelics in the U.S., which is uh, a step forward. Um, in my view, um, both countries were still stuck on the war on drugs, which is very damaging um, and not at all helpful, and I think it's going to take some time for us to shift away from that, but I think people are starting to realize, you know, harm reduction. We do have safe injection sites here in, um, in Canada, um, which have been proven to decrease death and harm to people, so we are, there are many people working for harm reduction, um, but, you know, there's still a lot of stigma um, and suspicion associated with psychedelics. Um, we are trying in Vancouver and Canada, there's a number of groups trying to decriminalize or move forward to legalizing um, psychedelics. Um, and also there's MAPS Canada and MAPS USA, which is working towards um, clinical trials to uh, legalize and make available psychedelics, which I believe MDMA is going to be the first among those um, that will be available for um, therapeutic uh, use. I mean, what is the experience for you being both the subject of the of the film Dosed, this documentary, as well as a spokesperson for the subject matter? I mean, this film is very, very raw. It's a, as they say, warts and all depiction of what you've gone through and you're you're dealing with your addiction through the almost the entire I, uh, the entire film yeah um firstly it's uh, it's very difficult for me to watch the film i've seen it three times now um it's very difficult it's very emotional um it's 
you know, and knowing that people being in a theater with other people watching this very personal experience is challenging. Um, but the response that I've gotten from people is that it's very inspiring. And, you know, um, I, I want to destigmatize addiction and, um, not make it something that people should be ashamed about or hide. Um, you know, I think this is something that we need to talk about and people, I think from what I've heard, it's inspiring for people um, to see me share my story and allows them to talk about their experience. But also, you know, highlighting, um, you know, the problem that we have, there is an opioid crisis in Canada and the United States. Um, people are dying. I think at one point in British Columbia alone, four people would die a day from overdose. Um, you know, that's horrific. And um, I think it's time to, I think, and I think the time is right. Um, there is a shift and there is growing interest within psychedelics more and more um, clinical trials. So, you know, I'm happy to um, be a spokesperson and help to shed some light on this and hope that we can start moving in a different direction um, to stop the suffering that is going on. You still identify as a as an addict. What? Do you, how do you identify? Um, I've definitely struggled with that. Um, that's evolved over time. I would probably yeah. at one point have said that you know, once an addict, always an addict. I'm not sure that I feel that way now. Um, I do believe <clears throat> that my recovery is something that I will always have to work on. Um, you know, okay. spiritual, emotional healing. But I think everybody has that challenge. Everybody's always working to better themselves and to heal. Um, so that's always evolving with me. Um, I'm, I'm two years sober, so, um, that's relatively new in sobriety. So I think I, I'm still on my journey. Um, but yeah. You were a great choice to, to be the subject of the film because you don't fit the typical, right? The typical concept of what an addict is supposed to look like or live like or dress like. I mean, you're very charismatic, you're young, you are a dynamic person, highly intelligent. I mean, it it's in a way you are the best subject for a, a film like this. Yeah, I think it's important um, to show that, you know, like I had a job, I had a family, I am just a regular person in many respects. Um, probably most of my coworkers and even some acquaintances probably would have been shocked to know that I was struggling with, um, you know, a heroin addiction. It, I, I there's a stereotype about what that looks like, and it's actually not true. You know, um, addiction does not discriminate. It affects, you know, across socioeconomic lines, um, you know, gender, um, all sorts of mm -hmm. things. So it's important that people see that, that this is something that is um, affecting all walks of life. Um, it's not just that stereotype. But I think it's easy for people to sort of dehumanize and um, addicts, like they're a certain type. And, um, you know, that's very damaging. I think it's important to, to know that all of us are affected. Everybody is probably affected in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, someone in their life that is struggling with, with an addiction. First of all, I guess guys fill us in a little bit about how you met Adrian and did, do you meet her and then decide to make this film? Or did you already want to make a film on the subject of psychedelics versus drug addiction? What came first here, the chicken or the egg in that way? And then how did you meet Adrian? How did you guys meet up? And uh, yeah. we'll start with that. Yeah, this is Tyler. So um, we like I, I had known Adrian for many years. And throughout that time, she, she'd struggled um, with sobriety. And it had sort of reached a critical point in her life where she was feeling quite low and depressed. And um, it was just 
uh, kind of coincidental because in in one regard this is you know kind of like this documentary never really should have happened but a few little things came together um so like firstly nick and i were talking about doing a documentary together we didn't really know what topic so it wasn't like psychedelics was uh, something that we really wanted to pursue um but then I had my own experience with magic mushrooms and that, that was the first experience of my life. And it was quite profoundly wonderful despite the stigma around, you know, like having a bad trip and stuff like that. And that's what kept me away from psychedelics my whole life is I, I didn't really feel like experiencing whatever that was, this unknown. And you hear about it every once in a while from a friend or even going back to high school. And so, um, after my first experience, I realized like I didn't feel hungover the next day. Like after drinking alcohol, I felt quite good, very, very, you know, energetic and and feeling very positive. And then just a couple days later, I saw a headline article that caught my attention about how psilocybin magic mushrooms can be helpful for people um, and how they feel. And so specifically with depression. And, and I was like, oh, that's interesting because it, it made me feel, um, you know, pretty good after. Um, not, not that I'm depressed, but it just made me feel quite good. And then uh, a few days after that, Adrienne was texting me from her low point, And that's when I asked her if she'd ever tried psychedelics. And that got me and Nick and Adrienne talking about, you know, if we should, like, if she should try that, how that would work, mm-hmm. should we film it, and then... Here we are. Yeah, I'll just jump in. It's Nick here. It's it's uh, something that we hadn't planned. And I think that comes across in the film, just sort of uncertain, sort of naive beginnings. And then going on this just <laughs> incredible journey, like into the illegal underground of psychedelic therapy and um, emerging on the other side through all of these sort of really traumatic and scary things that you see in the film uh, to a position where we almost feel like, accidental activists almost, or at least I'll speak for myself, I do. This is one, was not something I even knew about as a topic a few years ago. And here we are getting emailed by people every day saying that watching the film helped save their life or like gave them wow. hope. Um, and, and really what we've seen is that these drugs are so effective for treating mental illness and addiction issues um, that, that we, it's it's really the only thing that's been propelling us forward, uh, trying to trying to get this film release and get people to be aware of it. Yeah. It's just this this burning passion to make people aware of these issues that are really life or death issues affecting all of us. And and maybe it's easier to get people to see the film in this way, even though you know you're deprived of of your theatrical. But this is the opportunity for the film to get to more people sooner, in a way. Yeah, we're so excited about that. It's such an exciting thing that. Um, you know, we're kind of making a good situation out of a bad situation. Obviously, when you're when you have many, many, many dozens of theaters about to play your movie all across North America and the world, it's a bad time for a pandemic shutting down movie theaters, right? Uh, but there's way more than our own personal um, sort of. Tr- struggles going on right here everybody's struggling with this virus and what better way to help people get through this than to make this available online for them to see and and maybe give them sort of some con- contextualization around their issues and what might be done what you might be able to do to to work through your issues 
And people can find the movie at dosedmovie.com, right on the homepage of the website where they view the, the documentary in its entirety. And I recommend you do. Adrian, what was your rea- I mean, when you were approached by these guys about uh, t- um, trying psychedelics and, and doing it in a, you know, being sh- filmed for this, I mean, what were your initial thoughts? And, and, or, and, and I know that you struggled through the making of the film. I'm not going to get specific about it because I think people need to see the film and, and w- see what happens with your relationship in the film with the filmmakers. But uh, what about initially? D- you must have had m- mixed thoughts. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it was very serendipitous, like Tyler, uh, spoke about, um, I had also just heard about psychedelics, um, even before he mentioned it to me, there was a clinical trial that was supposed to happen in Vancouver, um, that clinical trial has not yet happened, but I had just emailed, um, the people, uh, running the study saying that I would like to be a part of this, um, psilocybin study for, uh, substance use disorder, Um, And then, you know, I was telling Tyler how um, low I was feeling, how depressed I was losing hope. And he'd asked me about psychedelics. And then, I mean, it all happened pretty quickly. I think he asked me, you know, would you be open to filming um, your journey, like try using psychedelics and filming it? And I immediately said, you know, yes. Um, Obviously, it was challenging. Um, You know, it's not easy. I, I didn't really know that we would be where we are today. You know, I thought, oh, how cool would it be if this did work and we had documented it all? Um, I was never sure. And we've all, we all talked about, you know, maybe not continuing filming. We didn't know how this would um, turn out. Um, so I guess I wasn't really thinking at any point that, you know, oh, we're going to film this and then one day it's going to be screened in countries all around the world. Um, I just thought, cool, let's document this and see what happens. And, and at that point, I was quite desperate and willing to try anything. Um, all other conventional roots had failed me. Um, so, um, you know, I was, I was willing to try psychedelics based on what I'd heard. Can you also just talk a little bit about your support system that you have, your family, your friends? It is a challenge to support an addict. I mean, the film also really depicts very, very, very honestly and clearly just how trying it can be trying to support somebody and to keep supporting them it's right there's not a lot of gratification yeah. usually in this in this process right uh, or happy endings yeah i mean um this was you know not the beginning of my journey when we started filming i had been struggling with addiction for the better yeah. part of 10 years and um that was definitely difficult on my friends on my family um you know addiction is a family disease it's a community disease if you want to call it mm. a disease it it's um it's very hard. And, um, but the thing is, is like, you do need a support system. You do need that community around you. It's very difficult, if not impossible to try and get sober on your own, just on your own, um, on your own will, willpower alone. Um, it is a very challenging and complex, um, issue, but I, yeah, it, it, and I was very lucky. Like I, psychedelics aside, like the psychedelics really helped me. That was an amazing tool to help me to get sober. But um, it was also important was the support that I had around me, like Tyler and um, Nick and I got very close very quickly. They were very strong supports. They were advocating for me the whole way through. Um, You know, I learned about this underground psychedelic community. They quickly became a very strong support for me. I'm very lucky that I had um, very supportive friends and family that stuck by me despite all the craziness over the years and how difficult that must have been for them um so you know i realize not everybody has that and i was very lucky to have that and that's a huge contributing factor to me being sober here today two years later 
congratulations Thank uh, you. You know, on that. You're welcome. And, and well, how do you deal with the tough days? Because it's not like they end, right? How do you cope on your most um, challenging days? I mean, there's lots of, I, I have to work on my sobriety every day. Um, I think the psychedelics, one of the things about addiction is like, I was very uncomfortable feeling my feelings, positive or negative. I just never learned for whatever reason, um, healthy ways to cope with particularly negative emotions and through psychedelics, but not only psychedelics, um, I've, I've had other therapies, um, you know, simple things like eating exercise, just learning to take care of myself. Um, but it definitely wasn't an overnight process. Like this is ongoing. And I think if you talk to anybody in recovery, it's an ongoing process probably throughout your life. Um, but, you know, psychedelics definitely helped me have a different perspective. Um, first of all, it gave me a lot more self-compassion and self-love. Um, I learned to be a little bit more gentle with myself. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it, it's a process. It, it's not something that just, you know, you do psychedelics and you walk sure. away, uh, you know, oh, that's all behind me. Um, I have to work right. all the time on better, you know, better, healthier behaviors um, to help me succeed. And I know you guys were, I, I don't want to make too much of it. You were, let's say, cheated on uh, this theatrical because of what we're going through. But you did have quite a few festival screenings. And you, so you did get to witness or experience the, the screenings with audiences in a, quite a few really good festivals. So what was what was that like? And Adrian, I assume you were at most of these or some of them at these screenings? Um, I've been to three of the screenings. I, I definitely have not been to all of them. Oh, you them. did say that. It, yeah. You did, just, it's just... too, very difficult for you to watch. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, your family and friends uh, make of the film? Um, a lot of my friends have seen it. Um, you know, they they kind of lived through the process, too, so it was very interesting for them to watch. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Honestly, um, my parents have not seen it. I don't know that they want to. Um, it's something that they've already lived through, and it's probably very difficult for them. I don't know that they're that interested in um, watching the film. I think they're just happy um, to see me where I am today and that it worked. Um, so I think that's good enough for them. I don't know that they necessarily want to relive that experience. <laughs> yeah. I guess I have to uh, respect that decision. Yeah. Guys, what has the response been? I mean, every audience has to have uh, a a large number of people struggling with addiction or family members, loved ones that struggle. So I can't imagine those Q&As were anything but very uh, intense. Yeah, there's been some intense moments for sure. Um, I mean, it's overwhelmingly positive. We've done many many screenings around the world we have not been able to travel to a lot but uh we've we've definitely been to a bunch and um you know they it's drawing in big crowds we're selling out uh big theaters and you know people are very interested in this topic for obvious reasons they um you know there's a a mental health crisis it's not just addiction as well right like these these substances are clinically proven or at least psilocybin and magic mushrooms um, it's clinically proven to help people with depression and then also with anxiety in separate studies. So it's drawing in a lot of people and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's challenging to see when, when people are asking, you know, well, how can I access this, right? Because it's illegal here in right. Canada. It's illegal in the United States. 
Um, in some cases, it's expensive, so it's out of reach because there's a lot involved, especially with the Ibogaine and Iboga. You need uh, doctors, nurses, health tests. Um, you know, you sort of need a, a whole team to facilitate um, one of those treatments. Mushrooms is a little bit different, but um, yeah, I mean, our, our thoughts on it are, well, if we can at least break down the stigma that people have around mental health and addiction and also psychedelics and open up a safe place for people to chat about it, even that conversation can help people. Maybe it's a, a teenager that'll chat with their parent about some feelings that they've been stuffing and you know they'll be able to work through that without psychedelics. Um, and hopefully in the end, eventually, um, everybody that's working towards making these um, psychedelics uh, you know, safely and legally accessible. Um, hopefully, they'll be successful, and um, in the end, you know, this should be part of the healthcare system where you know the government is involved and uh, even paying for it. Uh, I know it's different in the states than in Canada, but if it's part of the medical system, the governments will save a lot of money, and a lot of people will um, get better. And uh, you know, a lot of people who are addicted, especially to opioids, will. Uh, you know, stop struggling and suffering and, uh, you know, potentially overdosing and dying. Yeah, extreme measures, uh, are, are, I think, are are, uh, <laughs> are appropriate at this point. We have an extreme problem on our hands here in the United States with opioid addiction and, and deaths. The death toll, it's tremendous. Where, what's the local, the closest country in South is Central America where people go for a treatment? Well, I mean, if you go to dosedmovie.com, there are um, All the details, places. Yeah. There, there are, there's like a resource page, and there are people who are doing this. Um, and, and, you know, some, some will do it um, sort of on the underground. And then there's also places through gotcha. them, through them, like, if somebody wants to do it legally, um, it's Mexico. There are places in Mexico and Spain um, for Iboga and Ibogaine. Costa Rica, of course, South America. Um, quite often, though, that ends up being ayahuasca, and that was not um, part of our documentary, but uh, a lot of people will report back that that is profoundly life-changing and beneficial for depression and mental health. Yeah, so, I mean, people can can check that out and uh, obviously, you know, check around. But it's always something to consider. Like, no, nobody should be going to jail for this stuff. It shouldn't be a police right. issue. It should be a mental health uh, health concern. Um, and uh, so there are some countries that have actually legalized all drugs. Because, like, obviously, heroin is also illegal, right? Um, you know, the opioid, the street opioids that people are overdosing and fentanyl and all that stuff, it's also illegal. So this is like using one illegal substance to try to get off of another one that will kind of destroy your life while the psychedelics will help you in many ways and they're also non-addictive so after you've done one or two or three sessions you may never need to use them again um, of course while always considering that it, there's no magic bullet right but we need to stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater and and just sort of just throwing every drug into the same basket and deciding that uh there, you know, uh, and it's not even that the case because obviously there's lots of drugs available. It just depends, on, you know. Well, the most dangerous drug is alcohol, and that is, yeah, there you go. That is by far and away the most destructive for yourself and others. If you look at a chart, and magic mushrooms is the safest, according to the chart. Um, you can you can have do more damage to yourself with aspirin than with magic mushrooms. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the name of the documentary is Dosed. You can go to dosedmovie.com and view the film right now so people can uh, listen to this and then go right to the documentary and watch it. It's thoroughly watchable, by the way. Uh, I mean, it's very, very hard to stop watching this film. <laughs> and, and Adriana is a very watchable subject and fascinating person. You come across very fascinating and um, very quickly become very invested in your story and your success. So I'm glad glad I got the chance to see it, and I'm encouraging others to do the same. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. We appreciate that. Especially under the conditions, you know, I'm trying to fight for every film that's, you know, uh, dealing with the, with the distribution and exhibition of their of a film, and it's an important subject. So, if you're listening, go check out Dosed today. And we've been talking to the director Tyler Chandler and the co-producer and co-editor Nicholas Myers and Adrian, who is the subject of the film. And I really appreciate your being so forthcoming with your story really it's tremendously brave of all of you to uh, have made this film so well done thank you thank you so much and thanks for your time thanks for having us we appreciate it all right bye-bye 20 milligrams i didn't feel a fucking thing they didn't fucking give it to me they were restraining me (gasps) i'm still in withdrawals (laughs) Make it stop. If it was easy, it wouldn't work. Is mommy okay, Dad? My father really hurt. It's tangled so much. When it turns, it's just there. That's why Boga tried to deal with it. All of a sudden, that soul has a new set of eyes to look through. Sometimes. The scariest thing we choose to do is take the dose. We'll be back in a few days with another episode. We have the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal Podcast co-host, Frank Santo Padre, on for a nice long chat. Frank will be here. Also uh, coming up on the show, the author of a new book called The Wrong Kind of Women, The Gender Disparity in Hollywood and in the film industry in general is uh, the topic of this very important book by the author who we have on, Naomi McDougal Jones, herself a filmmaker and actor. Uh, so that will be coming up. Also, we will have coming up, um, I guess I'm dropping this, filmmaker Barry Sonnenfeld, who you may know from various Adams Family and Men in Black movies, among other films. Uh, he will be on the show. He has a new memoir. It's hysterical, called Call Your Mother, coming out, and we're going to have Barry on for a nice long chat as well in the next couple of weeks. Lots coming up. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs.
switches. 